Welcome back to the Spirit of Haggard. Uh, we have an exciting episode today with Dr. Michael Hoare to talk a little bit about the role of a veterinarian when it comes to sales and public auction. And we know, Dr. Hoare, that that's a big business in central Kentucky. So we're really excited for you to give us some insight on the that whole process. Sure. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, Jody. Yeah, I'm uh, excited to talk about it, and it's something I've been doing now for almost 18 years Wow! in Kentucky um, and traveling quite a bit, you know, different states with all the public auctions. So it's, uh, it's something I really enjoy doing and get to meet a lot of interesting people and, you know, work on some cool cases and, and um, just great to be part of, of some of the teams that are buying and helping them try to achieve their goals um, at the auctions, you know. Awesome. Well, it doesn't sound like you have a, a Kentucky accent, so let's get our uh, let's wow. get our audience up to speed I've, a little bit about you. It's been changing slowly over the years. <laughs> I'm I get, sure I get plenty of abuse when I go back home to my friends in Ireland. But I uh, so I graduated um, from vet school in Dublin in 2004. And the year prior to that, I came to Kentucky. I just wanted to travel somewhere. I'd always read and you know saw videos of Kentucky follow the sales circuit and the racing a lot. So I, um, I had a friend, you know, we, uh, I contacted him and I came out sort of in the summer of 2003, maybe uh, just to work on a farm, just to travel a little bit. And kind of through there, I was there for about two months. I uh, met uh, Dr. Fallon and Dr. Spirito, who were the veterinarians on the farm at the time. So we kind of hit it off. I was young. I was you know, in Ireland, you go straight from what we call high school to vet school. So I was okay. 21 uh, that summer when I was here. So I met Dr. Fallon and Dr. Spirito, and they encouraged me when I graduate, you know, why don't you come back to America for a year? And so I just jumped on that opportunity as soon as I got home. Dr. Spirito called me a few months later and said, you know, make sure you apply here. And, you know, so it's kind of a funny story. Nobody realized at the time Dublin was not an accredited school oh. in America. So... They had kind of put me in a role to be a field intern at Haggard's and I accepted the role and then I got a call saying, you know, can you send over your license information? And I was like, well, I'm pretty sure I don't have one. And, you know, it's a long process for me to get a license in America. So, you know, the funny part of that story is Dr. Fallon took it upon himself then to kind of create an in-hospital internship for me, uh, which would have been six months in surgery with Dr. Spirito, and Dr. Hunt and Dr. Rodgerson was there at the time. Um, okay. They're still there, but, and Dr. Thorpe was just about retiring. So that was, I was gonna, plan was I was gonna come do six months there, I was gonna do six months in medicine, and maybe work on a license in between, and maybe try and work in the field. So basically I ended up coming. Dr. Spirito said, yeah, no problem. He forgot to tell anybody else about this. So I literally <laughs> arrived over, it was July 13, 2004. And I walk into the Haggard Surgery said, I'm here to start working. And nobody knew who I was and why I was there. So <laughs> Dr. Spirito said, just put on some scrubs and get stuck in. So <laughs> that was, uh, that kind of morphed into, I spent six months there at that time. And that was kind of the start of the sales circuit. So I kind of, okay. Dr. Spirito kind of mentored me then for that six months. Followed him every day, went to the sales with him. Um, loved it. And I said, you know, I want to come back here. I want to, this is what I want to do. I said, but I promised I'd go to medicine for six months. And he's like, you don't want to, you don't need to do that. So just stay here. So you don't need to do that. And I said, you know what, I, I'm going to do it and just see what it's like. So I did that. I had a great time in medicine and learned an awful lot from, you know, the people that were there, Dr. Slovis, Dr. Bain, Dr. McGilvery, 
Dr. Fraser at the time. And it, uh, you know, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would, actually. Um, but I, my passion was definitely to come back to, to surgery, but do more of the sort of sales work in surgery. Um, so I'm kind of under the surgery banner from then. But, you know, it's kind of a running joke. I'm under the surgery banner, but I don't do any surgery. Uh, <laughs> So it kind of just morphed into a position that kind of didn't exist at Haggard's before. It was just um, doing a lot of the sales work, traveling a lot to all the public auctions. And it kind of, so, you know, it, it probably took me uh, two years from that point to go through all the licensing requirements here. Um, so I was probably, I was still young. I was still 23, 24. I had to go to Mississippi State for a week and take a bunch of exams. I had to go to Vegas and like do a spay on a dog at the time. and. So that all took about two years to complete, and then okay. I, uh, then I, you know, ended up getting another visa and staying at, at Haggard's for those couple of years, and it turned into a green card. And you know, after a certain amount of time, then I became a, I bought into the partnership and stuff like that. So it all worked out great from there on. Yeah, I would say so. That's, That's quite right. a journey. So you came over to spend a year, and that was about eighteen years ago. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> I feel like, you know, for our listeners, if you haven't listened to some of the episodes that we've recorded already, please go back and do so because you're not the first guest that we have had from Haggard who came for a year yeah. and is still here. I think it happens to most people when they come here. But yes. Yeah, I was scrubbed into a surgery with Dr. Spirito one day and he's like, well, what are you doing next year? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, whatever. He's like, oh, just stay here. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll make a job here. I said, okay. And that was 17 years ago now. So there you go. Still here. I love that. So we're going to talk specifically about the sales today. I'm, yeah. I'm really interested, especially for our listeners, to learn a little bit more about, really, I think let's, let's look at a full year and walk us through that, Dr. Hoare, of, you know, when, when what happens happens and kind of what that okay. cycle looks like. Yeah, so there, there's several aspects to it. Um, you know, a certain population of the people in Kentucky are just commercial breeders. They're in the business of, you know, with, they have their broodmare bands, they raise foals, they either sell them as foals or they sell them as yearlings. Um, and there's other people who want to buy, you know, racing syndicates, racing teams. They will purchase, you know, horses just for entertainment value or sometimes it's not monetary value. Um, so we work for several different people like that. And then we have people in the middle that what we term paint hookers here yes. that will buy a bunch of foals to resell them as yearlings or buy yearlings to sell as two-year-olds. So big part of my business is helping those people evaluate those horses at a young age. Are they a good purchase that's going to be offered for resale, you know, eight, nine months later? Um, you know, from a veterinary point of view, are the x-rays okay? Do we think it's something that'll improve? Is it something we can do surgery on and make it better? Um, so lots of stuff like that. And, you know, more, I do a lot of, we do a lot of work then. So September's our big yearling market. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we start sort of in July, a sale at Phasig, we have a Saratoga sale. And then we're kind of the big Keeneland September sale followed by October. But a lot of our work there is maybe just different racing people, trainers that, you know, want to buy horses to fit in their stables. So, you know, part of it, my job is kind of evaluating the client and their risk tolerance of the client, what they think they can live with, you know. And a lot of the stuff we've learned that we can live with it. And what we see as yearlings, you know, it's, it's a lot of it can be not, doesn't mean a whole lot sometimes. Um, so, you know, we've developed a relationship over time with some of these clients and we're confident in each other of, of recommending, recommending stuff that I think fits their risk profile, you know. Okay. 
Yeah, I think that's important, right? So you explained pin hookers. I wanted to yeah. make sure that our listeners kind of understand, you know, the the terms as we go through. So uh, we've got, you know, the pin hooker is going to purchase, you said, uh, yeah. a weanling or they're going to purchase a yearling and then they're going to turn that back around to be sold yeah. in, within the next year normally. Yeah. What's interesting is I never understood where the term came from and I did look it up recently and it's, it's something to do with the tobacco industry in Kentucky where they put a... They hooked tobacco on a pin somewhere, and it was some sort of trade-off. I forget where the story goes, but it's, it's something to do with the tobacco industry where the term pin hooking came from. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. See, our listeners are getting a history yeah, lesson right. today <laughs> as well. I love so, it. So, yeah, that's, you know, a lot of the business of these people is just, you know, they're buying an asset at one point in time and trying to sell it for more money later. Yes. So, you know, we just try and help them evaluate different, you know, they're, they're, they're buying horses based on, you know, a couple of things based on his pedigree based on its confirmation and then based, you know, on some of the veterinary results that, that go along with it. So we'll, each horse will be provided with a, a full set of x-rays, you know, 36 mm-hmm. images. Okay. And we'll do a lot of scoping. You know, we do a lot of video scoping now, which is new in the last couple of years, sort of to prevent some of these horses from getting scoped a bunch of times, having to be restrained 10, 12 times um, on the popular ones. So we started a couple of years ago with the idea of why don't we video these, you know, as soon as they get on the grounds or, you know, and put them all into repository too. So that's kind of actually taken off in the last couple of years. Okay. And that's uh, quite popular and, and it's better for everybody. You know, it's better for the horse. And Yes, better for the horse, saves yeah. a lot of time. Absolutely, yeah. You know, yeah. from that perspective, yeah. certainly. So, okay, let's go inside the repository. I yeah. know that, you know, that's another kind of term that we use yeah. as we talk about the, the sales. And so take us into the repository and tell us what happens there and... and Okay, yeah, so, you know, right before the sale, you know, a day or two before, everything has been submitted, every horse has had their x-rays taken, and whatever scope may be provided, or any other medical information, so if they've had any arthroscopy surgery, and any joint has to be disclosed, if it had colic surgery or something like that, it is disclosed in the repository, basically it was just an area where all medical information is stored, that can be accessed, and accessed by potential buyers. So, you know, my job is typically in a day, Day before the sale, if people are really organized, day of the sale, people will go through the barns, they'll pick out the horses they like, and they'll send me a list of horses they like and they're potentially going to buy. So I spend the next you know, a few hours with my whole team there, you know, I usually have two or three, maybe four people on my team. Of, I read all the x-rays in there, you know, 36 images each, and make a note of you know, what we find, categorize it in, in a risk level. You know, if they have a video scope provided, we'll evaluate that. If they don't, then we usually leave the repository. We go down, you know, and I think it's also very important to examine the whole clinical picture of the horse as well as just looking at the x-ray. So we go down, we evaluate the horse, and we do a physical, we watch it walk, you know, we feel the joints. We, anything that might be indicating something on the x-ray, it, maybe it has a fragment in a stifle, maybe it has a chip at an ankle. We, we can zone in on that area, you know, after reading the x-rays. Um, so we'll spend, you know, maybe five, ten minutes with the horse, do a clinical exam, we check its heart, eyes, testicles, um, you know, feet, and just an overall, it's not a real in-depth pre-purchase exam because we really, there's time constraints and and there's a big volume we're trying to get through. So it's somewhat of an abbreviated version of a pre-purchase exam, but it's still, we're, we're, we're assessing if it's a suitable purchase for, for the client. Right. And you've talked a lot about the risk profile. Yeah. And so do you have some measurements, certainly at this point, like, you know, this, this comes very naturally to you. But talk us through a little bit of evaluating risk to the, yeah, the for sure. buyer. 
you know, so I definitely have clients on either end of the spectrum. If somebody comes into the sale, they want to buy one horse and they don't want to, they want, they want to take a chance on anything. The horse has to be perfect for them, which might not be the right approach, but sometimes they're the instructions I'm given. So, you know, their risk profile, they kind of don't want to take a chance if a horse has got maybe a somewhat questionable airway or it's got, you know, some lesion in a, on an x-ray that, you know, in our experience could go either way. It could be a problem or it could just be fine. Um, but then I have other clients who, you know, buy a lot of horses and they see actually great value in some of these horses that have lesions that are probably devalued by other people for, mm-hmm. because their risk profile is just not as, not as low. So they do get, they tend to be, be excited about buying some of those horses sometimes because they get a, you know, the punishment doesn't fit the crime sometimes okay. of how discounted they are based on the, on the x-ray. And, you know, one thing, a lot of people talk about, you know, they ask me, you know, does the horse pass? Does he fail? And it's really something we've been trying to get away from that language because it's not a hard yes, no in a lot of these situations. Right. You know, a lot of it is, is management afterwards. You know, who, where are you sending the horse to? What's the program? You know, what, what type of, what do you, is it a turf horse? Is it a dirt horse? You know, does it have to go to a two-year-old sale next spring? You know, so you, there's different scenarios where different horses fit different profiles, you know? Yes. You know, we've talked even in previous episodes, especially when we start to talk about our racehorses, it is an athlete and you are part of a team. Yeah. And so I think really, you know, what, I, what I'm hearing is that this, this is all just a, a teamwork approach to kind of how that animal is being yeah. evaluated based on the objective of what, what's next. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a team, team from the, the, your, your client's point of view, you're just part of the team. And then also we have our own team, you know, at Haggard's that would kind of help me do all this work at the sale. So, right. Yeah. You know, going back to the pass fail thing, it's, um, it's really, you know, we try to get away from it because people really just want to, is it a yes or a no doc? I'm like, well, it's not that easy. You know, the same horse might be okay for somebody. And when I I do a lot of big numbers, I do a lot of horse for a bunch of different clients. So I try and just keep my language the same to the same person because one person hears the same thing a different way than another person. Yes. Because they just, maybe they want a reason not to buy the horse. Maybe they're in two minds anyway. And they're like, oh, he said something negative, so we're off. And then it's, oh, that horse didn't pass the vet. So so I try and keep, I try and just send everybody, you know, a spreadsheet of the results with the same language and everything. So everyone's reading the same thing and interpreting it the same way. Yes. It's... um, but it's great, you know, after you're doing it for some number of years, you get to know your clients and their comfort level. So, Right. Well, and so you talk about that and, and the clients where you are working with many of the buyers, but let's define for our audience also the buyer, the seller, and a consigner. Sure. So can we talk a little bit about yeah, so, those terms? You know, historically, I guess people would just raise their animal and bring it to the market for sale and it's kind of morphed into where there's some consignments now that just will sell horses on behalf of other people for a percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, so we tend to, you know, work for all of them or advise a lot of them pre-sale and basically just tell them what they have before the sale. So we can sit down, we can go through their animals and we can say this, you know, this one's got a problem. So this is going to devalue this horse in the sale because other vets are not going to like this. Um, so we can kind of help them put a reserve on their horse or what they think their horse is worth. Okay. Um, so, and a lot of people, you know, have done this for quite a while and they can figure it out pretty quick. That if I tell them this horse has got a problem, they know they're in, they know they're in trouble maybe taking this horse to a sale. Or maybe they go to plan B and keep it themselves or, or do something else with it. But um, we spend a lot of time pre-sale 
you know, working with a bunch of different clients, consigners, owners, you know, farm owners, horse owners, mm -hmm. just evaluating what they have. And, you know, really, really when we're working for the sellers, it's a whole year process. You know, they're buying the horse or it's, you know, fold out in whenever, February, March, April. We, you know, part of my job is, you know, at a week or two weeks old, I start evaluating those people, horses for clients. You know, confirmation is huge at a sale. They have to look good, look pretty. You know, it's a beauty contest sometimes. So we, um, part of our job, my, my job would be recommending surgery for angular limb deformity. So we evaluate, you know, we try not to do anything until at least 30 days old. Okay. But we do, I do a lot of evaluating in the, in the winter, in the spring of when's a good time to do surgery. Does it need a screw in its fetlock? Does it need a screw in its knee? So we do a lot of that and then follow up post-surgery. Um, and we can do a lot of that stuff on the farms now. We, you know, we actually do a lot of screw removals on the farms. We put in some screws on the farms. Okay. So it's, it's quite easy and, and quick to do. Um, so it's, it's quite efficient for the farm owner for us. So we can, you know, we can drive to the farms and we can evaluate the horse. And five minutes later, we can have the screw removed, bandage on, horse back in the stall. So it's, um, and we, you know, the beauty of working in Lexington is that there's such good care, such good horse people, good managers that mm. I can literally just walk away and I know that it's, it's going to be in good hands and they're not going to put on the bandage wrong. They're not going to get the bandage wet. You know, the horse is going to get its antibiotics and stuff. So. The standard of excellence yeah, absolutely. In, yeah. in, in care, yeah. I think. And, and we have, we've mentioned that before, but really uh, those farm managers and the teams at the yeah. farm level, yeah. um, you, you work closely with and have yeah. a lot of yeah. um, trust. Yeah. In, in what they're doing for... Yeah. So that's part of our job in, the, in kind of the spring, okay. early summer. And we'll also take, for those foals that would be just turn yearlings now, we will take some radiographs at that AH stage, usually March, April time, on anything that's going to be for sale later in the year, just to have a baseline of, have they any issues? Is there something we can work on? Do they need surgery to remove some fragments they have? And stuff like that. Or if, if they have some level of, for example, you know, we can maybe manage it a bit differently than and other animals, so it uh, gives people a good indication early on in the year of kind of what they have. You know, there, maybe there's huge OCD somewhere that they know that they're in trouble then later in the year, so they can change their plans, go to a different sale maybe, you know, or dampen down their expectations of what they think this horse is worth, you know, because you found a big problem right. at that age, so. It's, um, and it's tough, sometimes it's tough to give people bad news because, right, they've put the money up, they've bred this animal, they've looked at it for a year, and then I drive in and 10 minutes later tell them the horse is not worth that much. Yeah. So it can be a tough conversation sometimes, you know. And okay. It's, uh, that can be a difficult part of our job is telling people that, hey, maybe your horse is not worth as much as you think it is anymore, you know. And, well, you just, you know, you have to do it. You have to have yeah. that yeah. relationship and sure, have yeah. those conversations. Yeah. Fascinating, I think. So that takes us really then into that May-June time frame. So yeah. you've spent your spring working, you know, through the foals, weanling, we're yeah. getting into weanlings, and so then what's next? Well, that's about the time I usually go to the beach somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but so then we're, we're gearing up. So they're starting sales prep then, you know, June 1st. Yes. Probably some of these maybe, you know, everyone's a little different. So the first yearling sale is mid-July. So those horses are in prep, you know, maybe six, eight, ten weeks before the sale. Um, so there's always issues there. There's always a lump or a bump or something gone wrong that you have to go and evaluate and look at. Mm -hmm. um, and the other big thing backing up, which fits into all these, is the two-year-old season, sale season is in the spring, starting from March, April, May, June. So 
every month I'm gone somewhere. Typically it's Ocala or it's Maryland. Um, so I spend quite a lot of time in Ocala in the winter okay. for, you know, trainers, potential buyers that are buying two-year-olds at the breeze-up sales. So that's kind of a whole different world, you know. It's, it's, the animals are performing at that stage, you know, so there'll be some pathology, but, you know, can we live with it? We've just seen them perform over, you know, an eighth or a quarter of a mile. Um, so same process, you know, they've all been x-rayed. We evaluate them. We do a lot of ultrasounding on, on horses like that, just see if there's any soft tissue injuries. Um, and I think people have to keep in mind, too, that x-rays, you know, we know from all the new modalities we have now, PET scans and the MRIs, x-rays can only tell us so much on some of these horses, you know. And right. the um, skeletal system is a living thing, so it changes regularly, you know. Horses, these get the two-year-old cells. We know that managed and trained right, that they can, they'll be okay. Um, so it's, it's just a matter of working through all that with your client and trying to explain, you know, how to deal, how to handle some of these cases afterwards. So. Okay. It's, but I enjoy the two-year-old sales. It's, it's a fun, high-paced, you know, action. Um, but it's, it's, there's a whole great social side to what I do as well because we're, we're in cool cities. We're in Miami sometimes. We're in Saratoga. We're in Baltimore, you know. So yes. there's a, it's great entertaining with some clients sometimes too. Yeah, that's great. And, and you mentioned that, that at this point, certainly those clients become some of your friends, sure, some yeah. of the people you spend as much time with as you would with your own family. And so you're traveling with, with them and you really kind of develop that camaraderie um, and trust, right? So this, I think that the, the sale process, some buyers are also sellers, sellers are also buyers, and, and it, these are people that you're really working with day in and day out through the year. Yeah, so tell sure. us a little bit about the evolution of that, you know, um, from the personal side of it, your friendships and what that means in central Kentucky and the, being the horse Yeah, I mean, business. I think when you come to Kentucky, you're kind of, you're thrown right in the middle, you know, of, of the whole business. And you certainly, you know, develop a lot of friendships from your work side of it. Um, you know, as I said, we travel a lot to all the different sales. So we're kind of, I think I stay in a hotel maybe 90 to 100 nights a year at different sales. So yeah. you get to know, you know, some of your vet colleagues and we, you know, tend to hang out a lot or some of the just clients that you work for a lot. Um, you get invited to, you know, such deals and restaurants and dinners and stuff, which is always fun. Um, and the one thing about the sales, actually, you, you tend to meet a lot of the principals in the business because they're there spending their money, they're buying, you know, the expensive horses or if, you know, usually when people get in the game, the first thing they do is they come to the sale. And sometimes, you know, you end up being their vet by whatever reason. So you, sometimes you're one of the first people to talk to some of these new owners that just get in, you know, they have their bloodstock agent and oftentimes you're the vet that's in part of the team as well. So it's, it's, it's rewarding and fun to sometimes, you know, see those clients do well when they've just started in the game try and advise them right and, you know, to see them have some success is, is good. And that's important. You know, in one of our previous ep episodes, we talked to amplify horse racing. And so yeah. I think you bring up a great point, right, that, that this really is an opportunity to uh, showcase the industry and bring new folks sure. in to learn about not only sales but racing and what yeah. all goes into the thoroughbred industry. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a whole world in itself, you know, the whole sales world and ties into the racing. But, you know, a meet like the sale, the Saratoga sale, is that's great entertainment. That's a great lifestyle for somebody that just, 
wants to bring their family, wants to bring their kids and, you know, they can go to the sale and it's glamorous and there's big money thrown around, there's big dinners and you can go racing and have all the fun you want. And, you know, it's, it's a great time. I, I really enjoy seeing people making family events out of it, you know. Yes. And a lot of people get into the racing that way because their kids are just, they love that time and together with their family and it can evolve into, you know, at some point in their life, getting involved in the horse business because of that. You know? Right. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I also love Saratoga. Yeah, right. I think it's such a great town. Yeah, so is. for our listeners, if you haven't been to Saratoga before, um, maybe put that on your on your bucket list to get to Saratoga, New York. You know, especially during sale sure. time, and, and that's a great time of year to be in Saratoga as well. Bymeda might be the biggest animal health company you've never heard of until now. Bymeda's products have been trusted by veterinarians and owners since the 1960s when our Irish roots began. Bymeda is one of the largest producers of dewormers like Equimax, Bimectin, and Exodus. World-renowned equine athletes also rely on polyglycan, a patented formula that replaces lost or damaged synovial fluid in Confidence X pheromone gel, which reduces and prevents equine stress. Consult your vet and visit buymedaus.com to see where to buy. So talk to us a little bit about, we've kind of talked talked through the process, right, of the sale, but then what, uh, you know, I, I walk around the sale grounds and on the day of a sale, it, there's so much energy, there's so much buzz, and I feel like those are the days that are the busiest for you as a veterinarian. So you've read the x-rays, you've been in the repository, but what happens on the day of the sale that uh, I, I tend to think are some of the small emergencies what is well, what are the what do those look like there, there can be several scenarios you know sometimes if something goes wrong with the consigner the horse might kick the wall the horse might take a lame step somewhere and there's panic because it's sale day and their horse just went lame and they were really panicked so you know sometimes you go and diffuse that situation or you know usually it's something benign and the horse is fine um other scenarios which tends to happen a lot is people just really give you numbers late and they're like, hey, doc, this horse sells in 20 hips. Can you vet it really quick? So you spend half your day kind of running around trying to get those little jobs done. Yeah. Um, and then some people just wait till the last minute to, hey, doc, can you go read the x-rays really quick? So you're kind of sprinting all over the place, you know. I've seen that in action. So yeah, I, wanted, right. I wanted to make sure yeah. we got that across yeah. to our listeners. So it, it can be, you know, I, I uh, compare it to like an ER emergency room. Sometimes it's just chaotic. Sometimes your phone might ring, you know, 150 times a day. Um, you might get 100 text messages with numbers and it's just trying to keep everything in order, you know. I have, my assistant has my iPad, it's also got my text messages. We make sure we don't miss anything. Um, so, you know, that, that can be frightening when you're walking down a, through a barn and you see somebody and you're like, I'm pretty sure he texted me last night and I totally forgot about it. And you, have to, you have to rush and get everything done. But yeah, for the most part, we get it all done and it's, it's fun, but... There's moments when you just want to uh, throw away your phone and walk away sometimes right. for, for an hour and just go sit up on the hill and stare yes. at the sky. But. And those are the days that you, when you crawl into bed that night, it's... Um, oh, you, you do, and you just have x-ray images in your head, you have ultrasound images in your head, you have just all these numbers in your head when you're trying to sleep at night, but you're, you're like, you're running on adrenaline at that point, you know, there's, it's, especially the big sales, the two-week sales, I mean, it's... It's intense. Everybody, you know, wants something done now. And it's, 
But it's, it's fun. I thrive off of that. You know, I, I love when it's yeah. busy like that, to be honest. Yes. I, and I can tell that. And I think that, you know, your energy is uh, easily shared with the audience because, right. you know, and, and I'll ask that question. You didn't go to vet school and say, OK, I want to be a sale veterinarian no, in the thoroughbred industry. And so many of the stories that we talk about on the spirit of Haggard, really, they've evolved that same way. So yours in particular, I, I think think we want our students to know they don't have to know what they want to do specifically but as you move through vet school you 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 find opportunities and you may exactly. end up doing something you just didn't even know was possible exactly and I, I think you know don't overthink it and just keep you know doing what you like every day and you'll will find your niche especially you know after time yeah it's, it's the way I see it Yes, and you go somewhere for a year, and you're there for 18. Yeah. So, I, you know, something stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Something stuck, right? So you talked about your travel uh, and, and kind of what that looks like for you, but what's your favorite part of equine veterinary medicine? Uh, good question. I think, you know, I, I, as I said a minute ago, I, I like the high action, high pace, fast days at the sale. When you're, you know, you're in a repository, you've got a ton of x-rays to look at and you just, you knuckle down and you do it. But I really enjoy that part of it, you know, just, I really enjoy, you know, using your scientific brain a little bit, you know, coming up with, you know, your x-ray findings, putting the whole picture together and, you know, just discussing with your clients then of, of their needs and their risk profile of which ones suit them, you know? Yes. Um, I definitely like you know, being relevant in a buying team like that okay. it is very rewarding sometimes. Yeah. The, re the repository is an action-packed place, yeah. you know, for those. There's not many people that get to go into the repository, right? It's, sure. it's you and your team, yeah. but there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Yeah, yeah for and, sure. And a lot of it, actually, in recent years, it's, it's, uh, it's all online. So, you know, we can, we can kind of be in our car and, you know, with my computer if there's last-minute stuff to do. So... It's not all the sprinting like it used to be to get back to the repository. I can be up in barn 49 with a computer that I can kind of evaluate something last minute too. So yes. That's made life a bit easier. Okay, I would say so. Yeah. I would say so. So not quite as many steps in the day <laughs> on, on those days. So that's, you know, really kind of your favorite part of equine practice. Let's really look at Haggard's in yeah. particular. You know, this is the spirit of Haggard. We are having so much fun getting these stories out of you all as veterinarians of why do you love Haggard's? Why are you here? Uh, you know, it, it's definitely the people involved. I mean, one of my favorite things to do is if I don't have that busy of a day and I've several farm calls and I knock around, I just, I usually I pull into surgery. I walk down, you know, someone's doing surgery. It could be Dr. Hunt, Dr. Spirito, Rodderson, whoever. And uh, we just banter and talk about whatever cases they're working on. And, you know, they really, some of our surgeons are so good at what they do. And just watching them in action and they make everything look so simple. Um, it really is amazing to watch some of them work and some of the cases that, some of the surgeries that's been invented there. Um, you know, Dr. Thorpe was the first one to do a colopexy that's, you know, standard worldwide now. And the first screw implant was done at Haggard's. Um, just watching some of their brains work, doing some of those surgeries is, is really fun. 
Yeah. And I would second that, you know, it's one of those, uh, when you talk about that, it can give you chills, right? Yeah. Because there's always so much going on and we can get caught up in the day to day. But when you look at it from a big picture, yeah. there's a lot going on and there is, there is so much spirit to yeah. the Haggard family. So, um, I love that. And so for you, the celebration of surgery. Yeah. I mean, it's, we have, I mean, it's a great, I, I spend a lot of my time in surgery because I have a lot of referred, a lot of cases in there. So we always, you know, with every surgeon beforehand, we go over the case and, you know, do you think we can remove this chip or should we leave it alone? And we kind of work together on, on what's the best plan of attack for that horse. Um, but it's, it's great to be able, for me, to be able to tap into minds like that is phenomenal. And it's just a great resource that you can't have in many places. Um, yeah. But working with some of those people is, I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. Now, you obviously came from overseas. What would you tell our student listeners who are overseas? They're, you know, they're in Ireland now and they're considering a career in equine veterinary medicine. And what, what advice would you give them? I mean, if they want to come to America, absolutely, you know, do it. Come for a year. And I see it every year. I see, you know, five, six or seven Irish interns always come over and you can pretty much tell after a couple of weeks which ones really like America and which ones probably don't. Um, so it, it's, it's amazing. Some people just really thrive on the culture here, mm -hmm. you know, the amount of work um, and just the, you know, the personalities. So it's, um, it's, it's fun to watch or entertaining to watch some of those people and you just know that they would really thrive in America, you know, if they really just... There's such a volume of work here if you really want to work and great clients, you know, great horses to work on, great clients to work for. Um, but I, my, my advice would be if you want to come and, and knuckle down and work here, yeah, you're going to have a good time. Yeah, great. Now, and we always like to answer that question for you. You know, we talk about the pace and working hard and getting it all done. Um, but tell us a little bit about working in a clinic setting like Haggard and being able to balance your time, you know, your, the time you spend yeah. working and the time that you're not working yeah. and... I mean, the beauty of Haggard's is all the backup you have, you know, and all the uh, colleagues I can rely on that, you know, I have young kids, I don't want to be, I want to spend some time at home too and I mm -hmm. want to go to a horse show with my daughter, I want to do something. Um, so I work really close with some of the surgeons, some other field vets, and we've kind of, over the last several years, made us interchangeable where, you know, I try to teach the client, it's okay if I'm not there and someone else comes. They're just going to do as perfect a job as I can do or anyone else can do, um, if not better. So that's what I try and instill in some clients uh, from early days just to, you know, it's okay, Dr. Rogers will come. Um, I'm not on that side of town today. So it just makes life easier where you're not, not in being so demanding all the time from your clients that we can all help each other out. And I do the same for them if they're, you know, gone away for a week and stuff. So having that comfort level of knowing there's someone there like that that can just, we'll take care of the client, everything will be fine, you know, I don't have to check in and they're in good hands is really beneficial to have. Okay. Yeah. And, and I love to hear that because I know, you know, you do, you get to spend time with your family. You yeah. love what you're doing as a career, but that, you know, is also important that we are letting our students know that they might get a day off here yeah. and there. And so, you know, I'm, I'm pretty lucky in what we do in that 
I can kind of pick my hours. You know, I don't really do emergency work. Um, I really don't look at too many sick horses. Mm-hmm. It's more, you know, preventative stuff I'm doing. It's sales work, pre-purchase work. So I know when the sales are going to happen. I know I'm going to be busy. Um, but outside of that, I can schedule calls. You know, I could take an afternoon off if I have to. Right. Um, and stuff like that. So my part of the veterinary world is, is nice from that point of view in that you can... You know, I don't have to be within a certain radius of Haggard's like some of the surgeons do. I can live, you know, further away and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I can take weekends off if, if I really want to. Right. You know, so. Good. I think those are the, those are the questions that our listeners are asking. Sure. So I always like to make sure that yeah. we're sharing not only the professional side of who you are and what you do, but also the personal side of, of yeah. what you have alongside of a, an amazing career yeah. as an equine veterinarian. Thank you. So I love that. What would you tell uh, someone that knows absolutely nothing about thoroughbred horses and the sale process that, you know, they, they just, they, they have an interest, but they know nothing about You know, sales. I kind of stumble on that quite often when students will come who know nothing about the thoroughbred business. And my advice, you know, just dive right in because there's so much to see and do. So I usually, if I come across a situation like that, I usually invite the student, hey, come when the sale is on, because you'll understand it all, you'll see the process, you'll see what, you know, maybe a week before, you'll see what we do for the consigners, you'll see the whole process of the sale, you get to meet a lot of people, you know, you'll get to meet some, you know, trainers and sellers and buyers, um, and it's a great way to learn and see how everything happens, you know, um, and then just, you know, keep reading, you know, get, yeah. get involved. Yeah. You know, if you really want to be passionate about it and work in the thoroughbred business, you know, come, if you really want to come spend time on a farm, you know, work on a farm for a while, get your horsemanship skills in, um, understand how the process happens, you know, from start to finish, mm-hmm. um, and then come hang out, um, you know, at the vet clinic for a while and see, see that side of it. And then, you know, if, if vet school is your dream, you've, you've seen, you know what you're getting into, right? you know, down the road, so... Yeah, that's great. I think that's really important. You know, we've talked about internships and externships yeah. available at Haggard as well. And so, you know, I, I want to make sure they're hearing that, that yeah. you are saying, come, come visit Absolutely, us, yeah. come visit America or yes. come visit Kentucky, yeah. come visit Haggard, look into those opportunities just to spend time to hop in your car yeah. and, and see it yeah. and really see it. Yeah. We love having people in the car. We have, you know, I usually have an intern, we have a technician. So it's, you know, a full car every day, so there's great conversation, and we usually have a good lunch somewhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's important. That's the important part. They will feed us, right? That sure. like we'll we'll get fed eventually. Sure. Uh, so I always ask this question, and if you've got a moment or a day that is clearly one of your favorite moments or days in equine veterinary medicine, do you have a, an example or two that that is? shareable uh, I don't know really to be honest I mean it's always rewarding to see some of your clients do well at racing ways um, you know even though we play a little you know small part a snippet of that horse's life of you know being on their team when they decide to buy it or not um, it's great to see some of those horses go on and do well that you knew had issues at the time but you know based on your research and knowledge and data that you know, the odds are this, I'm sure this horse will be fine. So it's great to see them go on and be rewarding. Either they resell well or they go to the racetrack and do well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So some instances like that have been have been fun to watch, you know. Yeah, the days you get to s- stand in the winner's circle and sure. a- and be a part of that that team. Yeah, that, I love to watch rewarding. that. That's rewarding. Yeah, I think that's one of those magical moments. Yeah. Um, so fantastic. Well, you know, as we wrap up today's episode, Doctor Horror, what what have we missed? Is there anything else that we want to share with our listeners that? you um you want to share i just think it's important you know for some students that may be listening that it is a great lifestyle and can be a great lifestyle being an equine vet i mean you we meet a lot of people we you know we work outside if that's your thing but it's it's uh, it can be very rewarding and it, it can be long hours sometimes if you want to make it that way but there's also you know as i said what i do the hours can be great you know outside of some a couple of weeks of the year but it's um I mean, it's, it's great work and it's, you work with great people. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't let that turn you off coming, yeah. coming to be an equine vet. Yeah. So take advantage of the opportunities Absolutely. and experiences to, to, you know, get to Kentucky and Lexington Absolutely. and Haggard and yeah. to the sale. Yeah. So, well, I want to thank you for spending time right. with us today and sharing all of this knowledge and experience as it relates to the thoroughbred going through the sale process uh, and kind of what you do each and every day. So we are excited uh, to sign off on another episode of The Spirit of Haggard, and we hope that you all have gone back to listen to all the prior episodes and thanks for listening and keep the questions coming. Let us know what you want to hear more about. I am your host, Jody Lynch Findlay. I am a student coach, speaker, and now podcaster. So, uh, and with that, we will sign off on today's episode by saying cheers to the spirit of Haggard. <laughs>